Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. Welcome to this episode of Empower Talks where I'm really excited to have Chris Moore with us, who I think is fair to describe as a pioneer in insurance, um, particularly underwriting across the uh, gig economy and unique products and um, has some fantastic experience going back longer than I even knew that Uber existed. So uh, welcome on in, Chris. Thank you. And we're going to talk today around your career path. So essentially how you ended up doing this very um, well, specific, but also at the time innovative section and, um, and how that's helped you progress in your career at what's fair to say, I think quite, quite a young age still. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not something I will um, try to make out that I had this you know, foresight about the, the new sharing economy. I wasn't ahead of the curve. It was, I suppose, a, um, a fortunate uh, chance that I met a company that was truly innovative. Uh, and it was an opportunity, and thankfully I seized it, and it's it's created a, a, a an entire career path for me. So I'm I'm very lucky. Great. Well, do, should we start off with hearing about what you're doing now? So do you want to um, yeah, sure. tell everyone about what your your role is? Yeah, sure. So I'm the the head of IBOT, um, which stands for Ensuring the Business of Tomorrow Today. It's a it's a part of the Apollo Group. Uh, at Lloyd's um, and actually for 2022 we've had the approval that we will be a standalone syndicate at Lloyd's which will be the you know the Apollo syndicate 1971 the focus for us is or the mission statement is digital uh, it's data-driven underwriting uh, and so we're all about the data we're all about um, digital marketplaces and I suppose this this tech advancement that we've seen in the last 10-15 years is is unprecedented Everything seems to be on your phone, right? That's just the way you live. You know, I, I'm waiting for, um, you know, that, that hierarchical needs sort of thing. A Wi-Fi is on there, an internet connection. Pretty soon, your mobile phone is going to be in it. You know, if you don't have your mobile phone, you almost feel lost or you feel like you're naked, right? So everything's on your phone. It's about tapping into how can we create insurance products to support that digital marketplace. So a lot of it is usage-based. A lot of it's on demand. Um, and And... And the, the major uh, segment of the, of the business that we focus on that has embraced that is, is the sharing economy. Uh, and what do I mean by the sharing economy? It's accommodation sharing like your Airbnbs. It's your ride sharing like Ubers and Lyfts. It's your on-demand delivery, which a lot of us know very well during the pandemic, like your Deliveroo's, Just Eat. And if you're in the United States, your DoorDashes or your Postmates or Instacart. Um, and, and, and wider than that, it's it's tapping into just new and emerging risk. So e-scooters, autonomous vehicles, things like that. So I'll, I'll talk about how it how it came to be, how we how we got into this business. But yeah, great. it's it, it's really about embracing that digital aspect and how how risk is changing and creating insurance products for it. Yeah. So you mentioned this kind of chance encounter, if you like, uh, that, that kicked all this off. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. Sure. So. Um, I'll, t- I'll talk, I suppose, about my entrance into the insurance industry. I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on that. But I went, I, I went to work at Apollo, uh, and I it was a new Lloyd syndicate, right, which which didn't happen very often. 
um, Lloyd's a very traditional um, sort of marketplace amazing history but new syndicates don't pop up every t- uh, uh, very often and in 2013 I went to join Apollo as, as Apollo number 14 which I'm gutted I wasn't Apollo 13 I really wanted to you know be the Tom Hanks the Hollywood sort of employee but then my boss took that title uh, and now I can remind him that Apollo 13 was a failed mission but um, but Apollo 14 was what so it, I was I was there when it was a, a tiny company and I can remember sitting down with my boss and said right we've left a massive organization in, 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 in what was Catlin. What's going to be our USP? And our USP that we decided on was, right, let's truly embrace a client-centric, client-first culture. And if we can base our decisions for our business around our clients, that can be a differentiator, right? We can exercise flexibility, innovation, nimbleness, rather than getting caught up in this slow, traditional, hierarchical, you know, no framework. And, um, and, and that's what we wanted to do. So we, we were shifting from a, a buyer-supplier model to a strategic partnership model. So we wanted to collaborate and co-create with our clients rather than just saying, here's my off-the-shelf the product. I hope you like it. I hope you buy it. And that sort of culture was what we embraced. And, and I was at a, um, an insurance conference in Los Angeles and um, chance encounter with someone that did not look like they worked in insurance and, and they didn't and 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 was almost I think my opening line was are you lost um, I think they were wearing flip-flops and I was just thinking you don't look like you should be in an insurance conference and 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 I, um, we met and and they worked for a digital bed and breakfast and I can remember thinking to myself sounds like a terrible business idea who's gonna who's gonna book a bed and breakfast digitally without any trust or any any degree of safety or any insurance right um and and, and i it intrigued me and we explored that concept say and, and what they were saying was we cannot find an insurance company that understands our business and can create a solution for us uh and you fast forward you know that that company um was airbnb so maybe i didn't have the entrepreneurial foresight to think that Airbnb was going to be this billion dollar company and this, you know, hugely successful. Um, but I did, I did think there's something here from an insurance perspective. Insurance is fascinated. It's obsessed with ownership. Uh, you know, you buy a car, you own a car, you insure your car, you own your house, you, you insure your house. You know, you, you buy a, a watch or an engagement ring you probably buy insurance for that for that ownership, and and it was about transitioning insurance away from an ownership model to a usage model, which was which was far you know really in keeping with that millennial generation. That it it doesn't matter about ownership; it's about experiences. Why would I own a car when I can rent a car that suits my needs, or why would I only do one job when I can do jobs when I like, wherever I like, and whatever I like? So, it it, it was trying to keep with that shifting way that we live our lives and the way that we interact with the world. And and that just opened doors. And once we had once it got out in 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 circles that we'd insured Airbnb, you know, we got the phone calls from Uber and Lyft, and we got the phone calls from autonomous vehicle companies and scooter companies and and all sorts of different fascinating businesses. Uh, and then we we built a business around it. We said this is such an opportunity. This is so niche. There's there's not many people in this. Um, I had a chance encounter with the chairman of Lloyd's who, um, who said to me, what's, what's stopping you taking this to the next level? Uh, which was Bruce Kennedy Brown. And I said, well, I, I, 
within Lloyd's, there's this frameworks that we need to do within, you know, SPFs and business plans, etc. And, and, and I think, he, uh, you know, he said, build a business around it, put the proposal up to Lloyd's and let's, let's do this. Uh, and, and we set up an SBA and, and that was in 2018. And yeah, next year it'll be a, a fully fledged syndicate. So it's, it's a real success story. I'm super proud of it. We have an amazing team that supports me in it. Truly passionate people, but it, it really, it, it, it born from a, a mindset about putting the client first. Um, yeah, and, and 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 like I say, it was it was a chance encounter, and we just seized the opportunity. And there's a lot that you you described there. I think um, you know I, I can hear almost the nerves as you kind of recite back how it felt to to be in that oh, situation. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you were, to be fair, like making some of it up as you, as you go along, which is always the case when you're doing something for the first time. There's no blueprint. Um, that's quite challenging. How did you approach that? Yeah, I. I there was absolutely nervous moments. Um, my biggest coach in life is, is my wife. She is like an absolute rock for me. Uh, and she works in HR for a, for a massive organisation. And I can, re- I can vividly remember some of the conversations we had, you know, over dinner, late at night. And, and she has a ban on, on, on our personal life. I'm not allowed to speak to insurance with anyone uh, of our friends because I'm the killer of a dinner party when I'm like, hey, do you know about insurance? I'll tell you this fact, that fact. I love the industry and, you know, um, I just want to tell people how amazing the industry is too often. Uh, um, but, you know, speaking with her about do I really embrace this new opportunity which is taking me completely outside my comfort zone. Everything that I've invested in, everything that I know to go do something completely different took a huge amount of courage. But because I had her support to say, if this is what you truly believe, Chris, if this is what you're passionate about, even if you, you fail, you'll have zero regrets. And, and that was kind of the mindset that I took. I said, do you know what? If, if I fail, I, at least I explored it. Um, and, and, and that coaching, that sort of, you know, it was a form of mentoring, even though it's my wife and it wasn't a, you know, an independent viewpoint. It was super helpful for me. And I think it was, when I went to university, and maybe this is a, a factor of our generation, and, and so maybe maybe you have similar experiences, you were not allowed to show weakness. There were zero weaknesses. I remember being coached for interviews to say, you're going to get a question, which is, what's your biggest weakness? Or what's your, you know, biggest failing? And you're taught to make it into a positive and and so most people say my biggest weakness is that I'm a perfectionist, and you're like you're not. Come on, everyone's got a weakness. You just need to be true to yourself. And 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 my weakness is I have massive FOMO, so I have that fear of missing out. I'm probably not as good at triage, which I shouldn't say as an underwriter as I should be. Right? I, I don't like saying no. I like saying yes. We can do this. I'm I'm a huge optimist. Yes, it's an opportunity. Let's explore it. And I probably spread myself a little bit too thinly as a result. And I've got a lot better at that during my career. But what I've really focused on and what I've really understood is this is my failings. These are my weaknesses. I know my weaknesses, and that can be a strength if I surround myself with people that are good at what I'm not good at. Um, and and that was it, it was just that optimism that I went, do you know, I have to explore this because if I don't, it's always going to gripe at me. But I will definitely admit it was hugely challenging to leave something that I invested so much time in, you know, doing my qualifications, doing my exams, learning that traditional side of the business 
to then transition to something that was completely new and yeah some of it I was making up as going along but I was so passionate about it and I and I felt do you know what I really believe in this that I was I was willing to put everything in and, and I went all in you know so. And it sounds like you got the, the results deserved as well for that. So yeah, um, it's a great success story. Um, and the thing that we initially were, were talking about, um, you'd actually listened to some of these podcasts and I think uh, the conversation around how people get into insurance was something uh, that you had a lot of common ground with. So if we go back to the version of you that, that was at doing their A-levels or at university, uh, yeah. what, what would be their kind of view on what you're doing right now? So, so I'm a I'm a super fan of the podcast. I've I've loved the previous episodes. I think the the speakers have all been brilliant, and I love, you know, I I think as an industry, there's many failings that we have, right? Um, but what I love is the the richness and the the difference in stories and and roots and and just backgrounds. Like you can meet some of the most amazing people in insurance because. That it's such a breadth of of an industry and and talent and skill and I, and, and I love it for that and like I like my wife will say I'm a super fan of insurance and 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 and, and I've really enjoyed the podcast and I I suppose your story Sam about how you entered insurance probably resonated the most with me as in I I didn't know anything about insurance like my parents uh, you know I'm from deep darkest West Wales insurance was absolutely not on my radar even at university so I went to I went to study mathematics at Bath University and I did I, even at career fairs insurance wasn't on my radar it was right I've got a maths degree I'm going to do actuarials science or I'm going to do investment banking or something out of nature and it didn't really work out for me and I, and I quickly realized actuarial wasn't my career that I that was going to fulfill what I wanted to do with my life and it wasn't the the best fit for my skill set and I and I made the plunge I moved to London with with some friends from university and and again a chance encounter I sat in my flat and I was thinking your rent is coming you need to get a job now it's okay dossing around London doing interviews and things but it, now is the time you need to get a job and my, and my friend came home and said oh I've just got a job at Capgemini and and I was like oh yeah well done um, it was slightly envious uh, as a as a management consultant. He said, "I've got to cancel all my interviews for tomorrow." I said, "Oh, well, what do you have?" And he said, "Well, I've got one with this insurance broker." I said, "Oh, don't cancel it." I said, "Where is it? When is it? Who is it with?" I'm I'm going to turn up with my CV and just hope that they will see me and not throw me <laughs> this out. <is> brilliant. <laughs> so so I turned up for the interview and I was shaking. I can remember being so nervous, thinking, "What if I, like they're expecting?" my friend Jonathan, and I'm going to turn up and say, hey, I'm Chris. Um, but I got in there, and the audacity, the the courage, I suppose, they they loved it. And we all, the interview almost didn't happen. They were like, the fact that you've turned up with, you know, with your CV to take your friend's interview, you're already hired. And we asked a couple of questions, which were more for formality, to be honest. They said, you're absolutely hired. We, we, we love the fact that you, you've done this. And... I suppose I, I knew then I, I didn't want to be on the broking side of the business for my, you know, from the research I'd done. I wanted to use my mathematical analytical side. So I wanted to be either in underwriting uh, or, or something linked to that. But it was such a, it, it was an entrance and that's what I needed. Uh, and once you get into the insurance industry, you meet so many people and then your career can just evolve if you're, if you, if you invest in it and network and, 
And that led me to, to Catlin, um, which was a fantastic company for me, like super talented people, got given super, super amount of opportunity, was a proper yes man at the time. So anything they said, oh, do you want to get involved in this? Or do you want to do this project or that project? It was a yes, 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 yes. Um, I did my, something I'm not huge, well, I should be proud of it, but it's, it's not the most, um, it's slightly embarrassing. I did my ACI in, in a year. Um, so I did, it was at the time we could do, the exams were in two sittings, the summer and the winter. So I did four and four. Did four, um, four in a sitting? Wow. I did four in a sitting. Um, I'm super good. At, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty good at exams. Not that I know the material, but I have, I have quite a good memory. So, um, and and the exams were were a tick box exercise, which I I should have invested more in actually taking the learnings out of it. But I learned to pass rather than actually learn the the information and I'm a very task orientated person I set lots of goals and for me it was a tick box and a validation that you can do this and this will accelerate my accelerate my career I think I I put in my calendar and this is embarrassing when I got my ACI I put in my calendar the day I could apply for my FCII which was two (laughs) years for from from passing and then I got my FCI three months later and, and wrote a dissertation on, on class action lawsuits in the United States but it was all about I was so super fascinated about I want to be this by the time I'm 30 and when I was at Catlin it was about being a class underwriter that's what I that was my goal um and I like I say I was goal-based so I said right I want to be a class underwriter by I'm 30 and every decision I made was about if this helps me achieve my class under I say it's by the time I'm 30, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it wholeheartedly, 100% effort. Um, and, and so that's what I did. And, you know, my, my goals have, have changed a lot since since then. And they constantly evolve. And I have my super North Star. I, I have a professional coach, um, someone that's called Floyd Woodrow. And uh, if if anyone has the opportunity or or is in a in their career and they want to go to the next level, ask your company about coaching. I love it. It doesn't need to be a professional. It can just be a mentor. It could be a friend. It could be someone in the industry. And I think a lot of people want to give and, and are happy to do it. And and for me, coaching has been hugely impactful on my career. And the book that Floyd wrote is The Warrior, The Strategist, and You. And and it's all about setting goals and and having. And, and basically making your decisions based on what those goals are. And I have, he calls it his super North star. And I have my super North star that that's where I'm going to. Oh, that's what I want to achieve. Um, and just ticking off those boxes was, was part of that goal. So I'm going to ask a, a bit of a personal question while I was, while oh, I was sure. doing that. So where you kind of fell into the industry and then you had so many goals that you set yourself to achieve at such sort of fast pace. Was there an element of proving yourself? Massive chip on my shoulder. I, I'm Welsh, right? So I think that comes with the territory. <laughs> um, we're, we're, I have my wife calls it small country syndrome, um, but it's it's just yeah. I'm from a very very modest background, um, a lot of my you know from a social mobility side, you know, quite a high scale. Uh, and a lot of my friends are from very different backgrounds, and there is a lot about proving yourself. Um, and I think if if I had my chance to speak to a to a young me, it would be probably just to to be a bit patient, enjoy the journey. It it doesn't have to be a struggle, and and it felt like a struggle at the time because I because it was like working all hours. I'm not, I'm not very good at switching off. 
so working weekends and for me when when I first joined it was it was this it was this celebratory moment when you got given a blackberry like a work a work mobile and now I think about it if like my wife pleads with me she goes please can you lock your work phone in the in the, in the in the drawer this this weekend or whatever it is because you're constantly on and it's you have to be super disciplined to to be able to switch that off but for me there there was that element of be like proving people that yes i can do this yes i can be in the city yes i can have a professional job and be and be successful if if i like i say if i could talk to my young self it would just be a bit more patient it will come and if you're passionate and you and you do the right things and you work hard things will come but i was you know i was i wanted to be the ceo tomorrow um, <laughs> and, and and it was just it was all about this no one's going to set me off my track and get out of my way because I'm 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 going at a, a rate of knots. But I wish I'd been a bit more patient and enjoyed the journey. Mm-hmm. And what did you what did you learn about yourself through that journey? I learned that it's okay not to be the finished article. I'm certainly not polished now, but I was completely rough, ready, and raw when I when I when I got my opportunity uh, at Apollo. And and you know have a huge amount of respect for for my boss who 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 took me with him right he left and I can remember I can remember sat at Catlin going oh my gosh our boss has just gone to a company I've never heard them Apollo and then my phone rang and it was him and I was like are you sure you 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 found the right person because <laughs> you should probably speak to like him him or him they're much more senior than me and he said no no I want you to come with me and I remember thinking gosh this is too soon this is a huge step and 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 am I ready. Uh, and I wasn't ready, if, if I'm truly honest. But you, you throw yourself in the deep end and hope you can swim. And 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 luckily, I like I feel like I did and and, and did a good job of it. Um, I'm very much a an A to C person. Sometimes at my detriment, I I, I should sometimes go to B, but I love skipping a step and going from A to C. Um, but if if I've learned anything about myself, it's it's okay to have a weakness. It's okay to be patient. And I suppose the biggest failing I had was in my head, I had these goals and I had this super North star, but no one else knew what those goals were. And, and for me, again, that mindset of show no weakness, you can do this, say yes. And don't ask for help because asking for help is a weakness was, was my biggest failing. Actually asking for help is, is super powerful. And, and the, the piece of information that, that really resonated with me. And it's something that when I sat in the office, I had stuck up on right next to my, to my desk was communication. And it was, it's not communication upwards. It's communication up, down across the business. So it's, you are not an island. It's a team effort. You need people to come on a journey with you. And if you don't communicate what that journey is, then no one's going to come with you. And I used to get, I used to get really frustrated and go, hey, we need to do this because this is where we're going. And they'd be like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean what we're talking about? You know what I'm talking about. This is what we're going. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. And it's because I've not communicated what we're doing across the business. And actually, the more I speak, the more I talk to people and say, look, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I think we should do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is, you know, this is my strategy. What do you think? They buy into that and they help you and ultimately the output is is so much better. So the biggest thing is it's okay to have goals, but you need to communicate across your business what those goals are. So like I say, people come on that journey with you. They're, they're probably some of the things I've learned about myself. 
That's actually interesting because I know we've spoken in the past about Myers Briggs and that fits exactly with your profile. So the thought <laughs> process is in yeah. your head and then you share the, des- the decision that you, you make out- outwards and we tend to have a preference one or the other. Um, I can remember actually uh, an old colleague of mine, we have <laughs> the opposite profile of each other and we were um, talking about that in the day and we'd got our journey home and we got to Waterloo and she's like, where, where are you going? I was like, no, I'm fine. She's like, well, let's work out where you're going. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. I, I, and she's like, well, you know, you need to think about the station. I'm like, yeah, I have. I'm going to go from here to there to there to there, so I'm fine. She's like, okay, well, tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> just tell me you're fine. Like, you don't need to know what I'm thinking if I'm fine. So just um, <laughs> some of us essentially will do that thought process out loud and then actually forget to, people, forget to tell people we've made a decision. And then they're like, oh, did you yeah. ever act on that? Oh, yeah, did I not tell you? So um, it's interesting that you're learning there because that does fit bang on with your profile. I, I, I find Myers-Briggs super fascinating. Like, I find whole of psychology fascinating. The more you learn about yourself, I think it's, it, it can be massively impactful. It was super impactful for me to do it as a team, like to learn what my other team members had in their Myers-Briggs profiles. To, to not just learn about um, this is how I get the most out of me, but how I get the most out of my team and knowing that certain people are introvert or certain people need a little bit more time to think about sort of certain things or knowing that certain people are task-based or non-task-based. And then, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's a brilliant exercise to do as a team. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm slightly gutted that I'm like the classical ENTJ, but um, it, it's okay. Um, but I, I, I find it really fascinating. And um, we've spoken in the past about sort of social social mobility and what the insurance industry yeah. is doing and what you're doing as well, because you're building out a team and I know you're quite keen to find people um, with different skill sets as well. Um, so what's your kind of um, intention there? Yeah, sure. I think IND is something that um, I take a a huge amount of time to invest in. I think Apollo are investing hugely in it. Um, and, and from, from my perspective, you know, I, 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 I love the book range. I don't know if you've read it, but it talks about a range of skill sets, right? And that's, that's what I want in my team. Gone is this, when, when I joined the industry, the underwriter was king, right? Even when I was being an actuary, um, or that was my aspirations in my early career, it was always like, you're seen as a, a service to the underwriter. And that underwriter status that you sit at Lloyd's, class underwriter, um, and you have your pen or your scratch. And it was just this elitist status. And for me, the industry has moved on from that, that there is a range of talent that needs to, to buy into the future of insurance and the future of client engagement. And, I, I, and, and when I talk about that transitioning from a buyer-supplier model to one of strategic partnerships, of co-creation, collaboration with our clients... A lot of that has to be around data and, and new things. So we, we live in a digital world and, the, and, and the, these companies are, are, are spilling out huge amounts of data. And if we don't embrace that data opportunity as an underwriter or as a, an, an, an insurance business, it will be our failing. And so the skill sets that we need as an industry, I think, are changing. So the biggest investment we've made at Apollo and iBot is, is in data, is in actuarial sciences, in you know, data analysts. And what's amazing is I, I've hired maybe four people in the last 12 months that are all from a non-insurance background. And it, it was a hard sell, actually, because <laughs> um, they were like, insurance, really? Uh, and 
you know, when we've all been there. When you think of insurance, you think of car insurance or home insurance. And and, and it's me, I've, I, I, me and my team had to enlighten them on this opportunity that the insurance industry have. And thankfully, they've come in and their, their diversity of thought has enriched our team unbelievably. Um, and, and we were lucky. I think within my team, there's 14 of us. We speak eight languages. Um, I include Welsh in that. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe that's a cheat. Maybe it's seven. Um, but it, it, it's brilliant. And, and I learned so much of them because they completely disrupt everything. And I love the question why. I think it's super powerful. Um, but the question that I always get from those people that are new to insurance is, why do we do it like this? And I got a question recently from a, a new graduate, uh, Ningxia, who, who joined our, our team's Nactory. And she said, Chris, can you explain to me why it's a 12-month policy? And I and I, I really struggled with the question. And she went, um, <laughs> well, it's just always the way it's been. Um, that's that's the way it is. And, and and I was trying to come up with a really plausible answer as to why it is. And I was like, well, because we have to invest and it takes a lot of time to write the policy. And, and I was coming up with really waffly answers. Excuses. <laughs> Excuses, yeah, exactly. And I thought, do you know what? You're absolutely right. If we truly believe in partnerships and that client engagement, why does a why do we need to set a start time and an end time? Can we create an evergreen policy where the relationship is the relationship, but if it's broken, we'll fix it. Um, and it, and it's that diversity of thought that I just think accelerates your business, improves your business, you get so much out of it. You know, we're challenging ourselves, and I think challenges is so healthy. We're challenging ourselves on all sorts of things. Um, big challenges on ESG at the moment for us uh, at Apollo and saying, right, e- are these businesses from an ESG perspective the sort of businesses that we want to support? And making tough underwriting decisions based on that. Um, but when, like I say, when you surround yourself with that, with that diversity uh, and you truly create an inclusive environment, I think the output, the output is unparalleled. It's, it's obvious for me. Uh, I, I One of the, 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 the best things I've had during the lockdown is, you know, obviously spending time with my family and things like that has been, has been amazing. But um, just at the start of lockdown, I agreed to do some reverse mentoring. And so I don't know if you've done yeah, it. Yeah, brilliant. I get so much out of it. I'm learning <laughs> huge amounts about the next generation. It's been brilliant for me, um, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. I, it's always it, it, it's the meeting that's in my diary every every fortnight that I look forward to because I know that I'm going to come out of it going you won't believe what I learned today about <laughs> this TikTok Snapchat whatever it is it's I learn something every time and I and, I, and yeah it's just that that different perspective so I'm very a big believer in a flat structure yeah and you so essentially you've talked about how you, you you've got those people and you had to convince them how did you do it so so how are you finding people outside of insurance and how are you selling um it to them yeah that's my biggest challenge absolutely my biggest challenge um i've embraced linkedin to to really market the brand and try and expand our footprint and 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 i've you and i've exhausted my friendships my networks to say hey do you know someone that's super talented i need this sort of skill set doesn't need insurance background and and a lot of it has been breaking down the barriers internally. Like when when I look at a job spec or when I when I speak to and I think we have a fantastic HR team at Apollo, they're really, really um 
progressive in their thoughts and I, and I, and I think they, they drive our industry forward that they're, they're, they're truly brilliant to work with because they allow they entertain my um, let's call it out of the box type thinking because that's they might say a different adjective but anyway um, <laughs> they entertain it right but you know you look at a normal job spec and you say right we're going to recruit a marine hull underwriter they need five years of industry experience they need to have been an underwriter they need a they need a, a degree from a red brick university it's like really what do you actually want is a university degree absolutely necessary do they have to have had five years underwriting it, you know I, actually if you start challenging what you're asking for and what you really want actually you can cast the net so much wider and bring in someone that could be really talented and actually having someone that doesn't have an industry background in insurance could be a massive benefit to your organization um i don't need someone that has a university degree to work in my team if they want to come straight out of school and and they have i wasn't mature enough to go straight out of school straight into industry i i needed that university journey for me personally just to just to grow up i suppose and and gain that independence but if you have that you know that maturity that you can go straight out of school straight into industry come and come and join I, I i'm i'm a big fan of internships i'm a big fan of you know apprenticeships all that sort of thing but also when you think about industry experience it's brilliant when someone's come from a banking environment or when someone's come from a different environment because they have a different perspective and then when they come into the industry they can challenge things and they can think about things differently so a lot of it has been about let's not stick to the classic this is my criteria and we're only going to recruit from within insurance because I think we do ourselves a disservice. It was casting the net wider. And then it was about using every network, every connection that I could that I could find to, to find this talent that didn't know about insurance. And then it was about, look, let me tell, give you a snippet about the industry and how big the opportunity is. And I think one of our big failings, and I know we've talked about this a lot, and I think it's something that really resonated with me when I've listened on the previous podcast is, we're not the, we are a terrible industry at advertising how great the opportunity is with insurance and we we absolutely have to change that and i hate it when people say insurance is the best kept secret it shouldn't be we should we should be shouting that from the rooftops it has and there's opportunities for all skill sets and every background every sort of person can do something insurance that's really a wonderful industry and I think you get so much back from it you meet so many people it's a people-based business it's it you know I'm, I'm a super fan but um we just don't do a good job of advertising it so that's not that's the challenge we have yeah no I, I certainly agree <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I think even just the words we use to explain the industry the words are, are quite dull they're not relatable you know so now, one of the things that, that I'll often reel off is that insurance is brilliant for things like travel. And I know we shouldn't be selling travel to people as though it's something they're, they're going to do in the first couple of years of their career. But it's certainly a career where you're going to get a reasonable amount of travel, even probably post-COVID. And if this is Absolutely. something that young people are looking for, they can never find the careers where they can do that. So you know, we, we, don't, we don't talk about it because we don't want to make false promises. But actually, it's probably one of the best sellers we've got for this generation who are coming through. And yeah, I completely agree with the travel side you mentioned linkedin i'm going to ask you on that actually because um okay i I find linkedin um really intriguing and i I talk about it a lot in in training in terms of how we can use it to build your exposure build your networks and i i think 
for time spent versus reward, it is the best thing you can do for your exposure. Um, you know, you can spend four minutes writing a post and a thousand people see it, whereas to see a thousand people in a day is pretty hard work. Yeah, yeah at the same time, it's so underutilized. And um, I read a st st stat recently, actually only 1% of users on LinkedIn create content. And by content, that can just be posts. that doesn't have to be, you know, articles or videos or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and this is quite consistent when I talk to people about how they kind of build out their network. Yeah. So what do you think holds people back from LinkedIn and how do you overcome that? So I always tell my team, whenever you meet someone in a, in a, in a business setting, add them on LinkedIn. Because creating that connection, even if you don't utilize that connection, having that connection set in stone, if you ever need to draw on it, you don't need to go through, oh, I don't know that person's email. I'd love to ask that person's perspective. You've had that connection. You can, you can draw on it in the future if you need to. Um, and, and for a company like Apollo, you know, we're, we're not a global business, right? We have a London, you know, a London centric operation. We have a London office. We want to sell a global offering. We need to advertise and market ourselves. So LinkedIn is super important for us. But for me, I think that content creation, which which I do a lot of, I, I normally post once every every other week, maybe every week, and and I'll post about something that's real. So I think it's important to keep your integrity. You know, don't don't post for the post's sake, but you know, I think it's it's right to share things. It's right to share your experiences and, and what you've learned or, or what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, especially if you want to reach that the, the, those sort of people that are going to come on that journey with you. I think it comes back to that mindset again of don't show any weakness, don't ask for any help. And people, uh, you know, when I've asked my team, I said, or, or, um, are you going to do something? Uh, you should post about it. And I did. They're like, oh, can I send it to you and vet it? I'm just a bit worried about what it will be for the masses. I'm like, it's all right if you make a spelling mistake. It's all right if, um, you know, you use the wrong language. It's all right to ask a question that's maybe a silly question. I, I just, if we can get out of that uh, mindset that it's, that it's all right, you know, that it's not okay to fail, it's not okay to show weakness, I think it's better for all of us. Um, and I've put some things on on LinkedIn that has got, some negative press, right? A difference of opinions, which is absolutely fine. Um, but that that's my opinion. And I put my opinion out there with, you know, and, and I caveat it, say, this is just my opinion. This is maybe even not the opinion of Apollo or, or the opinion of my team. It's just, it's just my opinion. I just think there's that fear factor. And actually, I it, it can be quite liberating when you share something and actually go, all oh, right, everyone's thinking about this. It, it It's, you know, when you frame presentations, you said, Everyone asks questions. There's no such thing as a silly question. I think it comes back to that that fear factor of putting yourself out there. And you know, when you when you talk to me about you know your your TikTok and and things like that, I mean, yeah, hats off hats off to you. I mean, it's it, it's awesome what you're doing for the industry and, and how you're advertising it. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, TikTok's probably in some ways more scary because you are making videos um, yeah. all the time. But at the same time, it's less scary because TikTok does this genius thing where it only shows your content if it's good. So it will oh, show right, it okay. to like 10 viewers. And if like none of them watch it all the way through, it's not going to show it to anyone else. So if you make <laughs> something that's rubbish, no one will see it. But actually, if people are like, oh, that was interesting and they share it with their friends or whatever, you will get yeah. very quickly a lot more views. So your, your best stuff um, or the ones that create the most debate would always be the ones that get get the most views which is brilliant whereas LinkedIn kind of it just hovers the posts around because it doesn't get as much content coming out right 
it hovers those posts. You can be looking at something and going, oh, congratulations. And, and you're like, oh, that was 10 days ago. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I kind of yeah, missed yeah. the boat there. Because um, there's not enough out there. But I, I think your point there, the fear is so so true. And often when we look at um, training people on LinkedIn, we, we teach them knowledge. And it's not the knowledge that holds people back. It is this fear. It's this idea of putting yourself out there in front of your professional network. Um, yeah. Maybe looking like you want a new job because you've even done it in the first place. That kind of... And I think that's traditionally what LinkedIn was for. And, yeah. and some people still have that association to it. Um, and and for me, it's just, you know, I think the other thing is the, the level of engagement you actually get on your post. So again, 1% is my rule. If I get a thousand views, I've probably got 10 likes. Hey, like 1% of people would even like it. And then fewer than that would comment on it because um, yeah. I play a game with people where I say, put your hand up if you have a LinkedIn account. Keep your hand up if you have your photo on it and we, we lose a couple of hands. Keep your hand up if you like other people's posts and then we use a few hands. Keep your hand up if you comment on other people's posts and at this stage, most of the hands have gone down and then write your own posts and then there's usually a few people left. Um, and it is this kind of level of as soon as you are engaging with other people, people seem to withdraw on it. So I take yeah. this to think most people are watching it. Most people are there. They're just not putting out the content or engaging. Um, and it's for me often just you know a wasted opportunity because if we all have this fear and we and we do you know I post on LinkedIn yeah. all the time and I still you now I get messages from people going oh you made a spelling mistake and I'm always grateful when they do spelling is absolutely one of my weaknesses <laughs> um, so they're great when people come in with that uh, but at the same time I'm not going to not post because of it because you know, I want that content out there you want people to to see it and engage with it and if we assume that everyone's got this fear before they post then if we just look at it from a client perspective if one of your clients puts a post on linkedin you can assume that they were a bit scared about doing it if you then comment on their post saying thanks for sharing or this was interesting or congratulations they're gonna be like oh chris that's nice of you to say that like he's got he's looking out for me he's got my back and and just the kind of attraction you can get from the relationship with that is is so simple yet so powerful so you know i really more and more I'm seeing people kind of engage once people start they tend to kind of get on a kind of a, a moving train with it and they, they stick on and and the word that I pull out of, of of what you just said is 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 exactly that engagement mm. like if if you truly believe every every insurer for, for anyone listening to this in the insurance industry if you go to you know when you meet a client and you have a room of six underwriters that all have two minutes to talk about their company Every single, I promise you, every single one of them will talk about long-term partnerships. Everyone, because that's the message, right? That's what we're taught to sell in insurance is, you know, we're selling a promise. A promise is only good as <laughs> if you have that long-term partnership. And partnerships are built on trust and transparency. As an industry, we are one of the least transparent industries there is. We make our products so complex. We make our wordings so full of legal jargon. I mean... I will confess, I do not, I have not read my home insurance policy. I have not read my car insurance policy because it would be a slog. It would be a real tough read and I probably wouldn't understand all of it. And I'm in the industry. So how do I expect someone not in the industry to read that? Um, and that breaks down the trust. And, yeah. and, and we're not a trusted profession and, and, and we take that on ourselves. We, made, we need to make our product simpler. Um, and, and when you think about that engagement, we're not engaging our clients because people don't want to engage. And if you put yourself out there, if we make our product simpler, if we open ourselves up to partnerships, we talk about our industry a bit more, we remove this 
mystification about how insurance pricing is derived, how the policy works, how the product works. You know, we if we step out that comfort zone and say, right, let's let's really tell you how it works. Let's tell you how the where the premium goes, how we use the premium, how we invest premiums. You know, all these sort of things. Then actually, you'll get more engagement, you'll get more trust, and you'll build better partnerships. You know, I've I've lots of friends that work in invest. When I first joined the industry, they worked in investment banking, and and one of my biggest pieces of advice I. I um, I joined Catlin and um, one of the senior bods at Catlin said to me, every year one of my must-reads is the, the Berkshire Hathaway annual report by Warren Buffett. And if you read that, if you're in insurance, it will give you a summary of insurance that you've never seen it before if you're young in your career. And, and it gives you the perspective of this is how insurance works, right? Everyone thinks of Warren Buffett as this super genius investor with Charlie Munger and, and, and his team, right? But you don't realise necessarily that Warren Buffett is built off an insurance company in Berkshire Hathaway. And you talk about how he uses insurance as an, an, an investment vehicle, right? A float to, to make his investments and how he utilises insurance to give him an underwriting return and that there's a, a, a time difference between the premium in and the payment out. And it, it's super fascinating. And I used to speak to my friends who invest in banking. They were like, what's insurance? And I'm like, most of what you're like a lot of what you're investing is insurance premiums for yeah. for us and and when you realize the whole spectrum of it i was like how do you not know about insurance like you're investment banking and i used to think it was a failing of them that they didn't understand insurance it's a failing of us yeah we haven't educated people how important insurance is and, and what role we play in that financial ecosystem and 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 it's all about removing that mystery about our industry and it takes people like you and myself and other people on LinkedIn to share about how insurance works to get that engagement for people to learn and understand. So do you have a duty to talk about this at your dinner parties now? I have a ban, like I said, <laughs> um, but I I am guilty of bringing it up so much just because I, I'm passionate about, I want the best talent to think about insurance when they're coming out of university, coming out of yeah. school. And I, and I I don't want people to think it's a it's a, it's a secret. It, it it's almost like I've got keys to the castle. So I want to share it with everyone. Uh, I want people from all walks of life and all backgrounds to to know how rich the opportunity is in insurance and embrace it. Um, and that's why I speak about it a lot because yeah. you know I'm I'm passionate about it. Um, and. Yeah, sometimes people don't want to listen, but I'm still going to preach about how, how amazing <laughs> it is, whether they like it or not. <laughs> no, I know. I'm definitely, definitely the same. I just, I feel, I, I, people kind of, when they kind of roll their eyes, if you say insurance, you'll be like, I, I have this desire to be like, no, you're wrong. And like, I'm not going to stop talking until I prove that you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, yeah, that's probably where you kind of, you know, you've got you to gotta shut up about it a little bit. But it is just, it's exactly that. You know, I say to people, like my friends and family, I tell them, look at insurance. Like I'm genuinely doing it to everybody because, you know, yeah. you aren't told. You aren't told by, you know, your schools or I think the media, you know, I think the media's certainly got a role in this. The insurance salesperson is always a really dull character. There's an assumption that if you sell insurance, you are door to door with zero charisma, zero interest, um, zero ambition. You know, so, you know, the Truman shows, my, my classic example, Truman, like, who's meant to be the most <laughs> basic TV character. What do they make him? He's, he's an insurance salesman. Like, like, 
no, we, we don't have any kind of excitement. And when it is there, so sometimes you see you see films and they're like, oh, they're talking about something that's actually to do with the history of Lloyds or something. And it's just kind of yeah. rushed over in some little sly little comments. I, uh, like Downton Abbey, I saw it a little while ago on Downton Abbey. And I'm like, oh, oh no, it's gone. No, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I think we just have to get it out there in ways that, that people recognise. I think Aeon have actually done a really good job for this. Um, All right. By sponsoring menu, just yeah, because yeah. now people know the brand, people were like, "Oh, Aeon, I'd want to work for them." What do they do? No idea, but I know the brand. And there is this um, we've we've started with Gen Y, but absolutely with Gen Z. This kind of if you have the brand recognition, then it's a company you're more proud of working for. You want to show your friends that you work for them, so that your friends know in the brand as well, or know in the building. Those are actually real. I'll give me superficial selling points, but enough to draw people in. And then once we've got them in, we can explain actually what we're doing. Yeah. Maybe that that can do a lot more for the market. But when 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 I hear when I speak to graduates or I speak to people coming out of school, it's very rare to find someone that goes, "I know exactly what I want to do." Mm-hmm. It's 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 unfair to almost ask them that. <laughs> to make that decision at such an early stage in their life, they've not had any work experience, right? What I love about insurance is you can you can play an accountancy role, you can play a actuarial role, you can you can do a claims function, you can do HR, you can do marketing, you can do legal work and and, and contract work and you could be an underwriter, you can be a broker. The diversity and skill sets that the insurance industry needs is almost all encompassing. There's there's very little that insurance doesn't have a role for you right and so actually by entering into a like a grad scheme or an internship or an apprenticeship within within the insurance industry i'm struggling to think of you know a case where you're not going to find a skill set or a profession within the industry that that you can't be successful at and so actually i think it's it's a fantastic foothold to 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 enter because hey if i'm going to try my hand at insurance broker this isn't right for me i want to do this i want to do that you can transition within the industry. Whereas if you go into a different industry where it's, hey, if you want to be a lawyer, it, it is legal work. And that, that is what you do. If you want to be an accountant, you are an accountant. There might be bells and whistles, but it's it's fundamentally on a core skill set. Whereas in, in, in the insurance industry doesn't have that. Um, and that's why I just think it's, like I say, rich with opportunity. We just need to make sure that people know about it so that, the, that it's on their radar. And, and, and that's a responsibility of us in the industry. And I fully agree with, with you know, Aon sponsorship, uh, a sponsorship of, of brands like Man United and, and some of the Premiership Rugby sponsorships in, in big insurers. That's helping the amount of people I talk to. When you say, oh, you've heard of Allianz. And they'll say, oh, yeah, they sponsor Bayern Munich. And you go, do you, know, do you actually know what they do? And I went, oh, it's something to do with finance. And you go, it's insurance. You go, oh, right, You're car insurance. Look. And that's where it fails. Right? We've got to take it to that another level of understanding to to educate people what insurance is and and why it's important that comes from fundamentally building that trust remove you know building that transparency into how insurance product works if we're going to continue to send people 40 page legal jargons about their home insurance and their car insurance you know I, i i'm not reading it and i'm in the industry like i said so why would i expect someone else to read it and invest in in learning how this product works yeah yeah, well, we'll get. I'm confident we'll get there. I say, I said to you earlier, I had a brilliant message yesterday from um, uh, a girl called Ellie who had seen me on TikTok, messaged me on TikTok, followed me on LinkedIn, came along to Inter Insurance, found a job at um, CFC through that whole pipeline, and that's 
someone coming through TikTok. So, no, and this is I'm getting a few people now who are coming through from very random places, which which gets me very excited. So I think I, you know I we're getting there. I absolutely love that story that you've you've been able to reach out to someone that had no idea about insurance through a channel like TikTok is. That is exactly what we need. It's 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 so refreshing to hear that story. It's it it, it should be absolutely celebrated. Yeah, I'm 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 loving it. Not a, not a deliberate thing on TikTok, but accidentally it's become a great great way of doing this. So we always wrap up with one piece of advice, okay. as you'll know because you've listened to the episode. So I have. you might be prepared for this one, Chris. What's what is the advice you would give to listeners to help them with their careers? Yeah, I, I did prepare for this. For me, it's be brave. And if you're passionate about something, just have that bravery to pursue it. Um, I decided pretty, I must have been a nightmare to manage. And I decided early on that, you know, taking steps of a run of a ladder in a, in a hierarchical organisation to get to a certain position was not, not going to be my, my journey. I think if you find a company that shares in your passion, shares in your beliefs, and I've been very fortunate to find that in Apollo, you can create your own career path and, 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 and they will build a team or they'll build an opportunity around you. But it's all about taking people on that journey. So my advice would be be brave. And if you're passionate about it, don't let someone tell you it, it can't happen or it won't work. You, you can do it. Excellent. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us and we'll pop your details in the, um, the notes as well so people can come and find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not on TikTok, but absolutely <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are open roles in my team uh, at Apollo where, and I, I invite anybody that, that wants to do something different or thinks that they want an opportunity, speak to Sam, speak to us. I think there's, like I say, rich opportunity and, and love what you're doing, Sam. Thanks for having me on this podcast. It's been-